But we don't think about it, but anything as far as cocaine and heroin, those are very heavy on the streets. Just the first, you know the gates you came on, they make like, the drug trade on that street is millions and millions a day. There's a heavy, heavy, heavy kind of model of that we're trying to get. Well, I mean, and we already started talking, so um, how did you grow up around the shrine? I grew up in the shrine. Oh, I'm I spent at least three, four years of high school. Yeah. So how did you... I be the same bed. I don't know. <laughs> this one <I laughs> for high school. Yeah. Oh, okay. But um, how did you not get involved in any of these things? Did anything seem like a distraction for you? It just felt. It's the same way how in school you have different extremes of characters. Mm -hmm. Some people are focused on the studies. Some people are focused on babes. Some people are focused on bringing contraband and this and that. And you just decide what you choose to absorb, what you choose to neglect and what you choose to absorb. I, the most important thing to me about Shrine was how liberal it was. Mm. I could really, I had no bedtime. You know, I could just walk in Aginibi and come back late at night at like 12 years old. Like just you or like you and your friends? It was just me to the point that dad started to panic. So, and a security from Shrine would now escort me. And then my friends and I would just walk somewhere. And then I chose to absorb the music. So the kinds of things that I neglected totally was like the Igbo. I've never actually, I've never actually smoked a spliff in my life. You see, one day I was, I said I was going to ask that question. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> my friends said, that's that, what did you say was Jimmy? You said it was, what did you say it was when I said I would ask you if he smoked? Yeah, I said it was, as I said it was stereotypical to just, you know. Why, why, why haven't you done? Just because it has never really interested me. If it interested me, I'd have done it. And at the point where I wanted to start, my dad already quit. I wanted to start at 18 because there was a time I wanted to know how it worked. Like, because I see that when people have their first try, they choke. Yeah. So I said, see, would I choke as well? Mm -hmm. So that's uh, just wait till you're 18. You know, it's not a rush. You can have it whenever you want. So I just waited. And he was open to the idea. Yeah. By the time I was 18, he had already quit. He had quit like, in his, I think 45 or 43. And then I just, there was nothing that, there was access to it, but there was no interest towards it. Next thing, I'd gone to London for seven years of studies. I had come back. And even in London, you never, I mean, it was easy for people to say, uh-uh. London was even more, mm -hmm. more regulated for me because I was working, I was teaching piano and I was doing university. So there was a lot of things going on. I didn't really, I was not a very sociable person in London. I had like three destinations. And once in a while I'd go out to see a movie, but London was very, I don't want to say mechanical, but it was a bit mechanical. It was all about getting better and better and better and better. Yeah. I so like three friends in London. Only three. <laughs> Anyways, um, guys, in case you don't know who I'm talking to, I'm talking to Madi Kuti, all right? So welcome to the Relevant Podcast. I'm talking to the Relevant Madi. Welcome to the show, Mali. Thank you for having me. I mean, we've been. I mean, I have, we pushed this for how many Sundays now? Just, <laughs> just been a while, man. For one Sunday, but we've been talking about it. Yeah, for a while, for a while. All right, so we're gonna go back to growing up because I feel like this. There was a lot that you saw yeah. growing up. You know, when you did you ever meet your granddad? I I met him, but I have no memories of him because mm -hmm. he passed in '97. I was born in '95, so when I have anecdotes like people that have stories of me and him like my naming ceremony apparently he came but he was too sick to get out of the taxi that he came in so they took me to go and meet him and that's where he named me Afolabi my middle name and then you know he he and me and my cousin Auntie Annie's daughter his eldest grandchild we have we have she has many stories of how we used to go there and because Fela had a sweet tooth he always had a bunch of sweets around and how we just eat everything and blah, blah, blah. but as far as memories go i don't have a single memory of him and you call him fella like do you, do you don't say granddad when he didn't like let his own children call him dad yeah. i don't think he let his grandchildren call him granddad mm. maybe maybe you know i think that's another angle because my dad and auntie believes that what he didn't do to his children 
in the way that he, you know he'd spoil him as spoil them as their father they feel like he had that tendency to do that to his grandchildren but we never really got the chance because at that time he started to fall you know pretty ill mm. so yeah we don't know but everybody calls him fella mm. you know one would say that um, your family is quite big you have a very big family yeah. and um we can still see some sort of unity you know in the family how do you think that has been able to happen i think it's hardship that's my belief i think it's hardship there are many times i can trace in the family where a lot of us were disconnected and we only reconnected after we had to face a certain kind of challenge together mm. and what sort of challenge mostly it's public uh public opinion mm. and we have to find a way to you know navigate false rumors navigate yeah. media attacks and you know back in the days you didn't have social media to defend mm. yourself so whatever was written about you was what the majority of people believed like there was an article that went that my dad was running naked in the streets and I as a child had to regulate but this is my dad I don't think he was running you know naked in the streets so and you know we have the ransom kuti family and then the anikulako lineage is right after fella yeah. that one is quite small because fella had my dad shemu auntie eni and sola my auntie who has passed away um onkukunle and mutrayo that's about six children mm. and all of us are very connected because we're, we're a fairly small family mm. not a lot of us only my dad had a lot of kids mm. <laughs> most of us had not any only had one onkshi only has one onkunle has two and mutrayo has one and the ransom kuti family what we do is every christmas we all meet at different three different locations mm. each of the You know, fella had Dr. Beko and Dr. Koye. Yeah. So we each go to one of the family houses for each Christmas. So we mm-hmm. always have to try and maintain that connection and you know, we update each other on each other's lives. And yeah, you know, cousins that have never met meet. Yeah, meet yeah mm-hmm. so it's we try and stay as connected as possible mm-hmm. just because we've known that when we are disconnected, we become very easy targets for for everything. For everything, yeah. Mm-hmm. But what's the craziest rumor you ever had about um Let's start with Fela cuz you know Fela yeah. What's the craziest rumor you ever heard about and you're like yo this man did not even oh, <laughs> you know and then for your dad as well what's the craziest rumor I think L- let me tell you one that I think that I heard I heard that Fela and um Shabarangs had a smoke contest <laughs> I tried or first to sleep <laughs> and then Shabang slept off <laughs> you know you know so w- w- have you ever heard of this? no I, I've never heard of that one mm-hmm. that one I've never heard of I don't think fella would have a smoke contest with anybody mm-hmm. if fella smoked it was to it was because he believed in like the enlightenment of the smoke mm-hmm. so my dad would have stories of him and fella just by themselves Even when he was about 13, fellow gave me a spliff and they do smoke and chat for God knows how long. It was never he never did it I think uh playful yeah, yeah, or to show off or anything. Mm. Just he really he really just enjoyed mm. I think the process of it. And man as far as rumors go, I don't it's more the kinds of things that I had. after fella passed his image changed a lot. Yeah. Because the international scene started to give give gave him a huge acclaim for you know the kinds of things his music his activism and uh, in turn Nigerians then started to accept him on mass scale. Mm. The majority of my So you sorry. So you said that was after Fela's death that he almost definitely mm. media generally when Fela was alive was negative and oh. my dad and Anthony have I'm very happy that we're hearing this. Yeah. I'm so happy that I'm hearing this because a lot of people not a lot of people felt like Fela was being praised in this time for all the things that he did. You know, it felt like people were actually supporting the way the stories were told. Exactly. You know, they were told in the way that oh, he would go out to yeah, fight to yeah, and then everybody supported him. And I'm happy that I'm hearing now that man, these people did not even understand what was going on, and people legit, you know, wrote down on him and all of that. Yeah, they they not only they. They really did try and bring him down in every possible way, to the point that my besides dad, besides the government, besides the government, and my dad and auntie have stories of them visiting friends and being kicked out of friends' houses because they were Fela's children. So Fela was very, you know, the, which is what I had to 
I don't know, acclimatized to just the fact that his image was so different from even when I was a baby. Mm -hmm. And suddenly everything is so positive. And then I know the negativity exists, but suddenly it's now in the shadows because mm -hmm. I don't believe that everybody that said the things that they've said have suddenly changed their opinions. Mm -hmm. What I realized is that a new generation has come up yeah. that, that are informed, that have access to information, mm -hmm. that have actually absorbed that information, and have now decided for themselves who Fela is. Mm -hmm. But as far as so one of the saddest stories, I think, is when Fumilayo was thrown out from the window. That was actually a long engagement with the army. They came to the gate and they wanted to charge inside. And there was like a thousand people spectating. You know, small army group, a thousand civilians just watching it happen. Fella was so confident that if they tried anything, that these God knows how many people will just start stoning them. What, what, was, what was giving him this confidence? Why he, he believed that at least Nigerians were aware of his struggle, mm. of the truth he was fighting for, and they had the courage to actually stand up for themselves. That's what he believed in that moment. Unfortunately, as the army started inside, as they were beating people, as they were raping the women, nobody did anything. And my dad was, you know, very young at the time, who just happened to witness some of it happening. Lucky for him, he was outside in the car, just managed to escape. So, Fela was so sure that all those people would do something in some way to interfere, but nobody did anything. And if you hear of Fela's later life, you know, when he was ill before he passed, he was very alone. And they didn't believe he should even do a public burial because they thought nobody would attend. The person that fought for, that pushed for it to happen was my dad. He said, ah, do you know what Fela means to the masses? There's no way that if we put him, you know, if we make this a public event, the, the passing of a hero that nobody would show up, everybody believed that it wouldn't happen. And then what happens, like one million people come out in Lagos to come and bury Fela. But the fact that people didn't believe that people would show up just shows you how disconnected everybody thought Allah was from the people. And yeah, times have changed, man. That's crazy. That's crazy. Let's let's take it away from Fela for a bit, right? Let's talk about you. Do you feel like you just had to do the music thing? Do you feel, or um, you wanted to do it? Was it a music chose you or you chose music situation? What was the story? It was definitely a music chose me situation because I was too young to understand the legacy by the time that I was interested in music. I, you know, I said I lived here for about three, four years. No, in this, in the shrine, yeah. And dad used to play four times every week. Tuesday, Thursday and Friday was for free. And Sunday was 500 naira. And I used to watch him. Sometimes he would play on Thursday. He would play from 10 p.m. till 7 a.m. in the morning. And I would wake up for school on Friday and still catch him on stage. So my access to music, yeah. Access to music and musicians was, was so immense and at that time when 2004 2002 there were about every tuesday there'll be about three thousand people in the shrine in the shrine yeah so it would be so packed i wouldn't even be able to go downstairs and walk so the only place i could stay was at the side of the stage mm. so i could just watch the musicians play watch the energy that they give you know listen to people improvising on the spot mm. so i really just absorbed music live music first because i never used to listen to re to recorded music and everything I learned from the stage was what I wanted to replicate. Mm. So then I said, I want to learn the saxophone. So daddy gave me a sax. I want to learn the trumpet. Got a trumpet, piano, drums. So I just learned from the band and from people around. And then how many instruments can you play now? <laughs> God. I don't like that side. You're about to say all the instruments. No, that's not what I was Because to say, me, I believe that. To say you can play an instrument, it means that you are so confident in it mm -hmm. that you you don't feel like the instrument has any control over you mm -hmm. in that sense i won't say i can play an instrument but in the sense that i can make comfortable sounds mm -hmm. on several instruments on my album i played everything myself i played drums bass lead guitar rhythm guitar trumpets saxophones uh, keyboard, piano, percussion. 
You played everything by yourself. Yeah, live. Forward. Yeah, I played everything. So you, can, you can play all the instruments. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I'm not in Miles Davis. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, um, why do you think that you know Afrobeat became accepted? Why do you think that the sound later, you know, people now started accepting it, and then it grew to what we have now? I think when you have I think something that can't really be erased is value and I think something like value is appreciated more over time so my cousins will tell you a lot of stories how you'll be bullied in school because he was related to fella by the same people that today will try to tell him about fella as if he doesn't know about his own uncle so it's that kind of dimension you know we have the generation gap and then we have the growth of the effect of music so what was what fella was singing about in the 70s and 80s has been amplified in the 21st in the, in the year 2021 so if it's insecurity it's worse now and if it's a financial crisis it's worse now if it's I don't know education is worse everything is worse than it was when fella was alive the Nara is worse so people now refer to him as a prophet, whereas he wasn't prophesizing anything. All he was doing was speaking about his immediate reality. Mm. And it took some time for people to catch up to what he was talking about. So I think because the value is, that, is that the same drive for you? Because I, I listened to um, the Legacy Body of yeah. War, and um, there's, 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 there's a lot of talk about, you know, liberating yourself, you know. There's a lot of talk about freedom and all of that. Did you feel like, you know, you, you had to talk about the struggle of the people as well just like him just like he did because you could have you could have done the love thing you could have i yeah. think i think that might be one of the places that i slightly differ a bit from fella and my dad mm. because i don't think there's anything i could possibly sing about politically or socially that they haven't already covered and even though I know that, you know, if you keep re reiterating the same thing, then people may have access to it. But Fela's discography is there. And my dad's discography exists on every platform. So all you have to do is listen. I am, I've always been more concerned about the individual. Not so much as, I know, this is sort of my perspective. Leadership is bad. The leaders are corrupt. But who are the leaders? They all come from us. Nobody is handpicked from any upper echelon of society and placed there. They all grow up in Lagos. They associate with Lagosians and Nigerians. They get power and then they manipulate it and they abuse it. So my interest is more on, more on why we are the way we are. Why are we so, why are we miseducated? Why don't we love the promotion of our own culture? Why is it that we are, we are mentally regressing? even though we are sort of culturally progressing. Mm. So we think we're moving forward, but we're not moving forward with anything of substance. Even now, and when I say it, I don't say it lightly. I can't think of, other than Asha and Ineka, I can't think of another female artist that is comfortable in her own hair. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Can you name one? That's comfortable in her own hair? Yeah. Like the, the natural black hair? See, the fact mm. that you have to think about it to me is a problem. Mm. And yeah, yeah. there's some there's some young people. There's yeah. there's Tommy or what? No, we need people no. on TV. TV. The people that are oh okay. Our generation are looking up to. Mm. What is what is at the forefront of our our current like social climate? Mm. And you know those kinds of things bother me because I am somebody that my language is very poor. Like Yoruba, my Yoruba is terrible. And when I speak in interviews... Why? Because your, your dad speaks Yoruba well. So, now this is the... We'll come back to the... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fela never spoke Yoruba to my dad. My dad learned Yoruba from the streets, from talking with people. Even though Fela's Yoruba was so great, he never actually spoke to Auntie Annie and my dad. Why? I don't know. When, and we know that he was somebody who, you know... So yeah, yeah. And I think it has something to do with his priorities. His priority was always the equality of the people in his household. So he wouldn't treat his children more special than anybody else, which is why he said they should call him Fela, because he didn't want them to feel like they got special treatment. Mm. So 
you know, I don't really understand. Like I said, I don't have any direct memories with him. I know he was a great man, but nobody is perfect. Yeah. And because that household already didn't have that kind of mentality that we had to speak Yoruba to everybody, my dad also didn't speak Yoruba to me. So I have learned Yoruba now. My Yoruba that is so terrible from just speaking to people that speak Yoruba. If the band goes on tour, they make the point of only talking to me in Yoruba so that I pick up more things while I'm there. But my problem that I wanted to point out is that when I speak English in other interviews, international interviews I've done, suddenly they, my, the comments under them is, he's so well-spoken, he's, so, he's an intellectual, he's so intelligent. But part of what I'm talking about in the interview is that we've lost a sense of identity to the point that someone that speaks fluent English gets higher praise than someone that speaks fluent Yoruba. And that's a serious problem because it's conditioned in our minds that if he can speak English well, it is a greater accomplishment than if he can speak his native language well. And, you know, vernacular is what they call our languages in schools. Everybody, if, at least in my high school, if you speak Pidgin or Yoruba to your teacher, something is not acceptable. So all those kinds of things, it just diminishes who we are. And the, I, my belief is that if we direct our, if we direct ourselves towards a foreign concept of progress, Nigeria will continue to be like this. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the way we build our houses, whether it's the fact that our security is the way it is, police force is a foreign concept, and we haven't yet Africanized it so that it is understood that. Wearing a uniform doesn't make you superior to the person that is on the street. It means that you're supposed to protect the person. Do you know what it would be like if you could just... You that you're on dreads or whatever. You just see a police officer and just be your guy. You like, ah, bro, how far now? How are the streets today? Yeah, I feel good. And he makes you feel safe. That when you see them in uniform, they look like heroes. Not like corrupt uh, murderers. So that kind of... We've accepted a lot. Which is what Fela's Suffering a Smiling Song is kind of about. We suffer and we smile because we adapt. We're very good at adapting to different kinds of circumstances. But the problem is, the more we adapt, the more we lose sense of what is right and what is wrong. Or at least what can bring progress and what won't. Mm-hmm. Me, I have, I'm 100% Pan-African in that I believe that anything that will work for the African people has to be Africanized. Even if it's a foreign concept, we have to then Africanize the foreign concept so that it suits the way we talk, the way we communicate with each other, the way our food is, the way our language is, the way we socialize, and most importantly, the way we lead. A leader in Africa is not supposed to be a... is not a Winston Churchill, he's not a uh, head of the people. You know, I feel like in, a, in that leadership aspect, so I feel like we even take it... I feel like the the dramatization of leadership, the fact that a governor wants to come into this place and they're like guns in the air. I feel like that is the Africanness. I, honestly, I feel like that is okay. So now we know that we have a governor. We have a governor. Let's now make it dramatic. Because I feel like Africans can't be dramatic. Well, you understand? Who? And this is where. And that's not okay. I'm not saying it's okay. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. But then, everything is a source of something else. If we trace it back. Where does this system of democracy come from? Right? And in Agbaland, we didn't appreciate having leaders. We believe that anything that was worth doing, we should do it together. Mm-hmm. And that no one person should stand above anybody else. The concept of guns is foreign. And in Africa, when a leader goes to war, he doesn't sit back in his office and direct his men. He's at the front lines and charging into battle. So the idea that we have to understand that when our leaders are doing these things, when they're coming in their governor cars with their convoy, with guns and everything, they're already operating under colonial mentality. They're not African leaders. Mm, mm, okay, okay. They're leaders that have adopted a foreign culture mm. and now taking it upon themselves mm. as individuals to just abuse it anyhow. So they're not African leaders. Let's let's talk about religion, right? Um, I know that um, fella wasn't a Christian or a Muslim, mm. right? Um, are you a Christian or a Muslim? No. Oh, so what what what's what's your religion? Truth. Truth. <laughs> I don't identify mm. as it. I think religion is a problem mm. because I think religion is a problem because I found that a lot of people that practice it don't know the history of it. 
Was this a personal conviction? It was a, it was of the idea that your family has had on the on the concept of religion. It's because I had the liberty to choose what I wanted to do. So if so, I said, so if you say you wanted to be a Christian, I, you wouldn't have any problem. Not at all. Not at all. I could have been anything. All I had to do was do my research and substantiate my choice. So if, for example, there's only one Christian I've met in my life, and I've met many Christians that has read through both the Old and New Testament. Have you finished the Bible? Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> so, me, I believe that uh, this book is so important to you. If I was Christian, mm. I would have finished that book easily. I would have finished it before I was 18, and I would have started reading it a second time because I truly believe that everything in this book has the answers. I think a lot of people believe that they believe, but don't know whether or not they actually truly mm. believe. And religious leaders, more and more, I lose a lot of respect for the way they practice their religion. From what I hear, the sermons are about somebody is telling his congregation that Jesus is coming very soon. Why is that your mission? <laughs> Why is that what you prioritize? You want to instill fear into them so that they answer to you and you know that you can manipulate them into doing whatever they, you want them to do because be afraid oh, Jesus is coming very soon. When is very soon? It has now been 2021 years and for some reason some people believe that it's not happening in their lifetime mm. that to me is is a is a kind of um i don't say a mental or a psychological problem but it kind of is that you can look at history your original says do not kill but it's been one of the biggest initiators of war do not kill is one of the ten commandments and then your religion has killed so much so that they've killed each other because of the divide within the, their own religion. Hmm. So that kind of thing, religious leaders make me not want to practice religion. But then I've met a few religious people that sit on it. They know that there's some things they can't explain. And I they, think that's humility. I think that's humility to an extent. You know, and they carry on like that. Another question I used to ask people was, Adam and Eve, right? Had Seth, Cain and Abel. How did they reproduce? So somebody had to have slept with their mother. Or what happened? Or they had was Adam, was not Adam. They had a sister. Mm. And somebody slept with their sister. Shasha, incest will have happened. Mm. And that bugs me. And then there's a story of Ham. That Ham went to go and look at his father. Have you read the Bible? Me? I will never. I cannot spend time on something unless I believe I'll be able to carry something from it. But I have, so I know the story is just because there's some things if I have interest in it that bothers me, I'll go and research it. Ham saw Noah naked. Not because he went to go and check for Noah naked. Noah appeared naked, but he just saw him. And as a result, God punished him that all his descendants will have burnt skin, woolly hair, which is us. So we are just <laughs> niggas. <laughs> so we are. <laughs> God made them niggas. <laughs> so God, woo! the descendant of Ham, because the poor guy accidentally saw his father naked. So those kinds of things bug me. It just seems like an excuse for a white power structure to abuse a dark power structure. They just found a way to manipulate the mentality. It's like justify slavery, Christianity. It justifies uh, um, anti-feminism. It's the Bible that says a woman should not speak in church. Well, I have an explanation for that, but let's not go into <laughs> that today. There's a version for that. A woman should not speak in church. No, there's something. Now we have female pastors. So <laughs> no, 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 no. I, w- I would, I would, I had. There's an explanation to that, right? So, if if you're going to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to understand that the times that it happened are different. So it's, it's mostly um, Paul addressing the situation in that time. So it was it's probably... you yeah. think that God is not aware of the concept of time. God is all-knowing. That means he knew that society would develop. He's omnipresent, he's omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing that goes past him. There's nothing you can think that he doesn't already know. So me, I want to believe that when he says the word of God and the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, 
he's not writing it he's not writing the bible as in this is the bible of the year uh, 1 bc <laughs> the bible is the bible one the one bible unless the holy spirit comes back and does an updated <laughs> version <laughs> But you are going to leave religion. This is religion. Let's 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 talk about love for you, right? Um, I see you celebrate your partner on social media a lot. Um, so I want to ask, right? How many wives did your dad had? Your had? My dad. Yeah. My dad has only married one woman, but I have siblings from three different women, and you know we're a very tight family. We all we've my siblings and I all grew up together in Alagbole. So would you would you consider you know f- spreading your <laughs> wings across the earth, giving us more cookies? I've, I've always been, and I'm not sure why, because my environment would suggest otherwise. But I've always been more interested in singular relationships. I like the idea that I can trust one person. No, I think I know why. It's because I know the kind of Allah that comes with many women. See, if Allah had 27 wives, mm-hmm. and when I hear the story... They all have children for him, all mm-hmm. of them. Oh, okay. And, no, if Allah only had, like I said, only had six kids. Only? Yep. Okay. And he... The problem, apparently, they used to fight every day. So, I don't want to be... I don't want to sound... I don't sound <laughs> rude, but you know when you are in one relationship with one person, like a woman in relationship. Okay, this is, this is the way not to sound rude. A relationship with one man and a relationship with one woman. You know the kind of problems that you face. Yeah. Multiply it by two, then multiply it by three, then multiply it by twenty-seven. <laughs> so I think, I think if, as a child, you have any remnants of the experience of your predecessor, mm-hmm. I think all that chaos mm-hmm. has just entered me, and I'm just fought back against it. Mm-hmm. I'm always, now I'm really much, I really just have having one person. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not committed, then I won't be committed. But if I'm committed to one person, then I'm very, very much committed to one person. Mm-hmm. So back to music, right? How many how many um, tapes do you have out? How mm-hmm. many? That's my first just work. Yeah, okay. like why, why did it take that long? I think it was because I, I wanted to learn a bit more about music before I started to share my sound. I don't want to, s- because of where I come from. So now I've un- at this point I've understood the legacy that I'm part of. So I'm, I don't just love music, but I understand what has happened before me. And at this point I understood that I had to decide what I was chasing after. Is it money? Is it fame? Is it, uh, is it glamorous? Or is it artistic? Is it creative? Um, blah, blah, blah. And somewhere along the line, I think it was after watching my dad play a lot and studying at Trinity and just seeing the level of experimentation in music, Laban, yeah, yeah. Uh, the level of experimentation in music by people my age that had honestly zero interest in financial gain. Mm. As if they just wanted to make, they just wanted to make, and they were, and the, the standard of musicianship is ridiculously high. And I couldn't find anything I could compare it to in Lagos. And I think it was that experience that just made me decide that, you know, anything I do will be first challenging musically and creatively. And then I'll, I'll focus on the kind of survival necessities. But I think those things come, at least from my dad's experience, he says that he just followed music the way he enjoyed it. And everything fell into place as it went along. It would be nice if everything falls into place, but I, for now, I'm definitely chasing after uh, content, substance. Okay. All right. Um. So um, you, you talked about how you know the lineage that you're from and how big the music in, is and the legacy that your father has left and your grandfather has left, right? Do you feel pressure? Do you? Did you at any point feel like, mm, can I? I will come and do song that GZ we have to sample us, you know. I will come and do song that will feature in GTA. Did you feel, you know, because I mean, it, it's big. It's really big. The sound is big, honestly, right? So do you ever feel pressure? Do you feel like, man, these shoes are too big? And um, my shoe size is 42 days. <laughs> <laughs> there was something that my dad said when they asked him that question. 
and he said he already had bigger feet than Felab by the time he was 20. <laughs> I feel like Felab puts the confidence into <laughs> his son. Do you do, like that? His son, you'll be, you should be more confident than I am. Yeah, do, do, do you feel like that? Yeah, no, but I actually meant physical, like his feet were bigger. Oh, which is short. Like who don't know that because of his person. Yes. Like how short? I mean, I think it was like maybe five, six, or something like that. I was not running. Probably. My dad was. <laughs> father was probably about. Maybe about this tall. Who's that Who is taller? No, fella should be taller. No, whiskey. Whiskey. <laughs> 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 but, but yeah, so oh. that was my dad's joke every time they asked him that question. Mm. But I. There was, a, there was an interview of her where he was boasting about not teaching my dad anything. Because my dad is self-taught. He taught himself the sax, the trumpet, the keys, yeah. how to compose, how to arrange, and how, how to songwrite. Your dad? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So songs like Sorry Sorry, Ben Ben Ben, When I Wonder, those are, that seem so musical. Mm-hmm. They're musical from a person that has no education in music, despite having a very well-educated father that was you know, a very musical father. There's an interview with Fela saying, See that boy? They want to cause me and Femi to fight. Because there was a rift at the time when my dad left Fela's back. They're causing us to fight. But see that boy now? I don't teach him anything. No. I don't teach him anything. But listen to that boy's fucking music. So he was bragging about my dad's sound. You just did a Fela impression. <laughs> Despite not actually you know, contributing to his musical growth. You know, in any way, really. And I just thought to myself as a young chap who has now had all the supports I could possibly get from my own father, who has now taught me about how individual each person's road is. My road is not father's road, right? Mm-hmm. And my road is not my dad's. And the reason I can confidently say that is because I've seen how different my dad is from father mm-hmm. and how he has found his own voice, his own success through it. Mm-hmm. When I say success, I'm not talking about riches. I'm not talking about financial riches. I'm talking about musical riches. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the way he has built his family. I'm talking about, you know, this is this shrine is my dad's. Fala shrine was the old shrine that uh, we didn't own. So this is what he has built. He has toured for 40 years mm-hmm. of his life. There's no country, sorry, there's no continent he hasn't played. There's, he has toured America, God knows how many times. Europe, how many times. Four-time Grammy nominee. He has played with all the artists that we respect and when you meet him he just sits like a chap that hasn't really <laughs> you know because he doesn't because that's not what he holds value for it's not he it was the first person to win the world music awards the first nigerian in 2000 and when i watched the yeah mandela was there michael jackson was there and nobody knows about it because he doesn't promote all those kinds of accomplishments or the fact that he was the first nigerian to win Kora awards he just cares about music for the sake of music mm. and more importantly the message that the music is bringing across so when you say whether i can accomplish what my dad and fella have i don't like to think about it that way i like to think about whether or not in my life i'll be able to communicate what i really think and what i'm really passionate about mm. and whether or not i'll be able to make other people understand what my sound is about mm-hmm. which is sort of my job i have a language mm-hmm. that has to communicate in a way that doesn't deprive the listener of challenging him to listen more but also challenges him to listen more so that after he listens more he then absorbs or she then absorbs something positive from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's talk about i mean it's safe to say that you are a younger generation i mean that's like how old are you sorry 25 26 of them okay um so it's safe to say that <coughs> you're a younger generation older that. that's what you think i'm like i'm like 27 <laughs> i'm 26 i just turned 26 in march oh, um so um it's safe to say that you are a you know a breath of fresh air for the genre right so i want to ask would you be would you be interested in working with anybody as outside the sound yeah. that you create so i'm talking like a burner boy a risk it i don't think there's a, I a, i'm not interested in working with recently it was Ron town that i did a track with that he released not too long ago mama told me i have a track with kid Akuts. 
I don't know, like, he plans on releasing it. Mm -hmm. I have one with them. Me and Cavemen have been working on something. Ooh, is it, is it a body of work? <laughs> I mean, that's where I saw you, that's where I ever saw you perform first. Was at the Cavemen concert that I hosted? Yeah. Do you guys have, like, a body of work? You know? No, 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 no. Nothing that, nothing that great yet. But, okay. you know, their work is so amazing. Mm -hmm. They're such, they're one of the, I don't, let me not say that. The musicians in Nigeria I really respect. Mm -hmm. Really, really respect their work ethic, the direction that their music is heading, what they put into it, and what they believe music is about. Everything about them is so complete to me. So yeah, I was very happy when I jumped on something with them. And um, who else? I've done something with... Yeah, just... There's something else coming out with someone. I don't know if I can talk about it. Mm -hmm. you know, that, that kind of thing. But there's nobody I'm not interested in working with. I think the only person that, the only thing that I would shy away from is if I really dislike the message in the music. Mm. So what kind of messages would you dislike? Would you not want to, you know, if put out there? I'm not going to do something that is praising the government. I'm not going to do it. Or something that has any kind of political character that is being wrongfully acclaimed or something. Would you say that's fucking up the bank? <laughs> My dad has this story of how after the jailed fella, that Abacha came with, he had like Ghana must go bags of cash that he offered to the musicians of the time. And all, so many of the musicians that we respect, my dad was the only person that turned it down. And I think of that kind of, you know, there's a legacy of me, but then there's a legacy of intolerance to corruption. That's one thing that. I feel I have a responsibility to maintain that I'm not going to. The moment you dip your hand inside that pot, mm. I don't think there's any going back from it. Mm. Until today, we haven't done it, mm. and I think we should stay. We should stay that way. So I don't like music that is political, that at least politically false, mm. and I don't. I definitely don't like music that is about. I like songs about love. I like. I don't mind songs about becoming a better person so that you have money. But anything that seems depraved, mm. anything that's like decadence, mm. like yeah, I, I, these hoes, no, 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 no. You will not jump on that <laughs> trap, big. As I'm even playing it, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> what to do? All right, um, I think that we're we'll talking for an hour, so I think that we should probably have a part two. Have the rest of this on the radio, but yeah, it was really nice talking to you. Ooh, 42 minutes. It was really nice talking to you. I, I wanted you to play. Saxophone for my. Well, you have to pay me. <laughs> I know. That is the issue now. <laughs> Just one yeah. ten seconds freestyle. No, I never do Because <sighs> not because I don't want to. Because I don't know how to do it. If I don't know how to play, unless I really feel like I'm playing. So if I don't, I can play like a lick, but I'll be embarrassed about the lick I played because mm -hmm. I'll feel like I was doing it shabbily. Well, before you go, before you go, they told me to do one time on the TV show. I'm never forgiving them for it. Let's not do that. I want you to. <laughs> I don't want to have. Okay. So there's one other rumor I heard about Fela, yeah. right? Um, and I really want to confirm. So we heard that Fela died of AIDS, and we know that you know his his brother was yeah. a medical doctor, and um, he had many wives around him. Yeah. And if he had this, there was a chance that you know other people around him would have had it. Yeah. You know, but we've never heard of any other person coming out to say, oh yeah, we had AIDS. But I just want to ask, right, do you believe that, you know, he passed from that? Um, honestly, at this moment, I don't know. My belief is that it was HIV AIDS. But I also know that, you see, Fela was very, very, he was one of the pioneers of Pan-Africanism in Nigeria, especially culturally not just politically so when the stories about how regulated HIV and AIDS were about how it was historically it was it was designed for the African and how it was affecting us at a disproportionate rate as it was affecting the West about how there was there were so many theories about how it was it was a cultural attack on Africa, mm. that he as somebody at the forefront of the kind of total Pan-Africanism that I was fighting for, he couldn't accept that. 
so the you know for example the church the uh, what's the what is the pope's uh, the pope's branch of christianity you know? the catholics catholics had banned condoms and you know all these kinds of things so he was i think he was just trying to find his place in all of this fella was having sex like five times a day that's it that's yeah that's the truth and he couldn't accept that this foreign illness that has not been in africa all this time the africans have been in africa and not had this kind of issue ever and suddenly with foreign intervention through the colonial era now we're having aids mm. as a problem i think he couldn't accept it which is why he was nonchalant about it so he should have in my opinion should have looked more at he should have listened to doctors which i don't think so he was a lot of points also disregarded like foreign medicine and focused more on he was he was a pioneer in believing that african medicine should be regulated there's some things that i've seen being treated by agbo that you'd expect like medicine would be able to treat yeah and when that happens that agbo worked right but then you go to another specialist and then it gives you agbo that doesn't work so obviously there's like chinese and acupuncture there's something in our herbs that work in the way that we tackle medicine we didn't use to die of malaria at least we survived malaria until the white man came and then when they came they'll come and build you know they'd their uh what do they call them the philanthropist will go through and try and navigate their way through territory they'll catch malaria they'll die but the way that they would navigate is with the africans but the africans won't die so we obviously had a way that we treated all these kinds of illnesses but we have nobody that is regulating it so we have to find out what works what doesn't work and test it out so all those kinds of things were they weren't happening during the last time but he was just fighting for the idea of it happening and as a result i think definitely he would have caught aids hiv that would have developed and you know it's just i believe and i've watched a few documentaries of the thing origin of you know hiv and aids and when you see all the plausible theories of how it was designed and when i say designed i mean definitely designed the idea that we're having sex with chimpanzees is stupid so obviously it originated from a place where certain experiments were taking place and then it spread so i can understand why somebody of his character would totally fight against it because he was intolerant to anything that was foreign and negative totally intolerant if it seemed like it was a foreign concept and it was harmful to the african he wouldn't accept it at all as for whether or not it was spread i don't know there are many things i don't know about fella <laughs> so when is the next body of work coming out anything what's, what's next for you um are you going on tours because i know that you are, yeah, you are a tourist <laughs> We had about two American tours lined up last year, and two European tours. Nothing happened. Everything was cancelled yeah. because of COVID. Then early this year we cancelled two tours as well, and now we have a tour planned for November, November, December, and we're hoping you know that one doesn't get cancelled. Yeah. And then um, any albums after? No, I take I take time with with, with albums, but. new tracks you know there are a lot of new tracks with the band i've always notated my music and suddenly i have a band now and now i'm making music with the band like i'm giving them parts and hearing it live and then i'm changing ideas so now my music has suddenly changed what what have you what have you oh shit this question is basically what have you um incorporated what new sounds have you put into afrobeat to give it more life because i heard it i heard the sound from you and i could tell that there's a little this there's some freshness to it what did you add to it to give it that you know fresh sound that we hear i intentionally try to deviate from what is popular so i try which is why i always work with live instruments that's the start of the sunday jump show so i try to deviate from should i wait <laughs> are you going to no he's going to announce it okay so um yeah as we wrap this up because this is the last going to have to wrap it up 22 times i mean <laughs> there's no how i feel like if i see your dad you'll be two hours we have to split it but one two three I'm but yeah i know i know um so um yeah that's what you um the hall of fame right the rock hall of fame that um 
fella was nominated for and um, he never got it because i don't know why yeah. but how did the family feel about this what was it like for the guy i remember when it first started and i'm going to confess i never voted and i never voted because i didn't i didn't think my vote mattered and i knew that no matter what happened it would be up to them to decide who nominated so apparently there's like different uh, yeah criteria and if you win the if you're high on the polls you suddenly have an extra advantage to be nominated but it's still up to them to decide who wins but like some people have said me i don't like it because i don't like any kind of body that is foreign that africans put above that african used to judge their accomplishments i think we should be able to dictate and decide for ourselves the chinese don't care about the grammys right we should be able to think an idea an idea of a i don't know a body of people that we praise or we give hall of fames or whatever if it's awards doesn't matter we should be able to do it for ourselves africa is big enough for that and when we give so much importance all we did is give them god knows how much money and when we pump into their industry it just pours negatively on us on the other hand i have to admit that in times when nigeria has fallen short on promoting their own culture the west has done it like finding father was a foreign company right the Fallon broadway show was a foreign company and when they promote us i think that's a wonderful thing but we still shouldn't allow them dictate what is and isn't what is great and what isn't great what is greater and what is the greatest so yeah when it started i was i, I can't say i was disappointed because i wasn't even sure i had i had i had experienced something very similar a couple of times so i already knew that there would be a chance that he wouldn't be nominated regardless and when i was asked i said the same thing about how we shouldn't care so much about foreign acclaim and when i when i saw nigeria's reaction i was pleased because it seemed like in that effort to get acknowledged by someone outside we understood the importance of what we had around us because mm. suddenly it was our fella and you know a lot of people that had never heard of him before would have checked the polls and knows mm. that it was second place mm. Mm. and More something good came out of it mm. but again i just i don't know i just if if Afrima or I don't know nominated I don't know which kind of American artist I don't know Nicki Minaj and would she care about it? And then you nominated Drake and which one Mamad? I mean? Which one? You always nominated Drake and French Montana Why don't we focus on increasing the potential of ours? There was one that was very big you know the World Music Awards that was the one that Mandela and Michael Jackson and all these big artists and actors were showing up from foreign countries in South Africa. But then the guy that was managing it. I just think we need our own man. Equivalent, not, an, not even an equivalent to the Grammy, it's just an African award for Africa. Hmm? Thank you very much, Madi, for stopping by. It was really nice talking you to you. So sorry for. <laughs> Thank you, for having me. thank you for having you thank you for having us in the shrine <laughs> thank you for being on because guys i'm in the shrine i'm in the upstairs vvip, VVIP. yo <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you very much <laughs>